Good morning and welcome to the Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey. I'm Donald Martin, editor of the Herald and Herald on Sunday, and your host as we discuss the latest headlines and share brilliant and free advice from the boardroom. We're also joined this morning by Artie Mohammed, co-founder of Guy and Beard Limited. If you have a question for Tom and Willie, you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the Twitter conversation at hashtag Go Hunter and Hockey. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. So gentlemen, it's been another eventful week. Lots of good news to celebrate, although I'm afraid there'll be no parties or cake for us. Oh, oh it's a shame. But we ran out of time last Sunday to discuss the Scottish Government's Strategic Transport Review. Lots of headlines including the Clyde Metro project, bridges or tunnels to the islands and upgrades to the A77 and A75. So what excited you most, Tom? (laughs) Um, I didn't get that excited, Donald, if I'm honest. Um, I think what would excite me is when you look and see what Elon Musk's doing with the Hyperloop, etc., I think we talked about it last year about HS2, which was an analogue answer in a digital world. And there was nothing that really grabbed me out of this strategic review. Where is the Elon Musk type thinking where we're going to put a hyperloop between Edinburgh and Glasgow or Glasgow and Aberdeen or, you know, we're going to even just upgrade the M8 that two-lane monstrosity between Scotland's two biggest cities. So I thought it lacked ambition, it lacked the big Elon Musk ideas, and I was not impressed. Willie, you must have been excited, particularly the Clyde Metro project. Yeah, regurgitated once again. I think over 20 <laughs> years, that must be the 15th time. Uh, way back to my days when I was chairman of Scottish Enterprise Glasgow, but the thing that would excite me more than anything would be the, to see sight of the money required. <laughs> Where is it? Where is it coming from? And I, and I agree with Tom. And again, this is a chance for us to be bold and ambitious. When when Elon Musk first muted his idea about the loop, you know, in, in California, the first thing they said to him was, "Oh, you'll spend hundreds of millions in research before you get there." He put an advert out. And a thousand very clever people across America offered to work free in their spare time to help them with the concept. And all on the promise, if it comes to fruition, then there'll be something down the line in it for you. These are the sort of things that we have to do. And there's no doubt, with not too much money, you can certainly, you could help the state of the transport links in Scotland. I mean, Tom touched on it. I think I mentioned before, I had two big-time developers from America over here a few years ago, and they couldn't believe that our two main cities were so close. They were connected by a straight line, 40 miles, <laughs> and we didn't have light bulbs across the whole 40 miles. <laughs> so that is, we should start with widening the M80, four lanes each way, and let's get a few light bulbs on it. Uh, it it's, of course, a 20-year vision. So... Do either of you expect quick progress in any project? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) It may not be in our lifetime. (laughs) So, well, well, that's obviously got a lot lot longer to live than me because I don't don't see it. Well, how important is good infrastructure to business, Willie? Very important. 
absolutely very important. And if anybody wants proof of that, I would love to see the the data now from the impact of that last 4.7 miles that was added to the M74. That is absolutely superb. You know, it used to take me 45 minutes to get from my office next door to Ross Hall. I can be there in 12 minutes now. Right, so what that's doing now for pollution, what it's doing for, you know, uh, you know, cars times on the road. So for me, two, two, the two major infrastructure projects for me in my time being involved, you know, with, with public service, one was the hydro and the other was the M74. And I honestly believe that the GDP uplift with both of these projects made them worthwhile. And these are the two things that we should put up as the selling point for any other projects that we want to look at. Tom, what's your view about infrastructure for business? Yeah, well, this is all about connectivity, Donald, and businesses, as we've seen, when there's lack of HGV drivers, um, Britain, Scotland comes to a halt. And um, therefore, the slicker, the less friction we can put in our connectivity, the better for business. But we need some big thoughts here. Where are the Where's the green agenda to all of this? Where is the Elon Musk thinking? I'd, I'm really just fed up with the same stuff getting regurgitated, as, as Willie said, about the Clyde Link thing. You know, come on, we can do better. Well, talking of the green agenda, to keep the Greens happy, of course, there'll be no more roads to match future growth in private car use. Is that a fair compromise, do you think, Tom, or is that bad for business? Oh, well, I mean, surely the thing is that we're moving to electric cars, hydrogen cars. You know, I don't think we're we're going to stop using a, a vehicle which is under your own control. It might be powered differently, and I'm all for it. You know, we've we've taken the plunge and got our first couple of electric cars, and they're and they're brilliant. But I don't think the green agenda is to say no more cars. I think it's about what type of cars. So once again, I think they've got that wrong, Donald. Well, Willie, they're basically saying we can have lots of uh, eco-friendly cars, but we're not going to provide any extra roads for them. I don't think anybody would disagree. What everyone is saying on the green agenda and you know, moving away to, to electric vehicles, I, I just like to have a grown-up conversation with everyone and say, fine, how do we get there? It's okay saying that you don't want something or you want to bring something to an end, but let's have a conversation about the implications. You know, the timing of that, it's not going to happen overnight. As Tom says, I've just taken you know, delivery of my first electric car this week and as soon as I get the naughty sticker off the front of it, I'm going to start driving it. <laughs> um, on a completely different subject, nearly 30,000 Scottish companies stopped fully trading following the COVID curbs in the run-up to Christmas. The First Minister's work-from-home guidance was a major factor. Were you surprised by that impact, Willie? Um, I was in the first instance, uh, you know, at the start of lockdown back in uh, 2020. Um, I was I was amazed. But what's really... You know, I'm actually got confused now because I'm getting mixed messages. All my people have been working from home. And now I'm saying, let's do a survey, see who wants to come back, what we should do. I, for me personally, I've just had a conversation about it today, um, that we should say to people, look, everyone's coming back slowly, and when we get everyone back, then let's have a conversation of what we think it should look like going forward. 
if you want to have that conversation at the moment while people are still away, it will be it'll end up we don't want to come back. Right, so I think we have to get people back to normal and then have a discussion about how we maybe change things, a hybrid system or whatever. Or really find, it's all about the well-being and the people that work for us, but it's also about outputs. You know, what does the customer think about the service that you're providing? So I think that we should we should certainly have a, you know, a conversation about where we go going forward. Well, Tom, Nicola eased the restrictions during the week, but instead of a full return to the office, she's encouraging hybrid working. Are we being too cautious or do you think she's getting the balance right? Well, she is saying that a mass return to work is a public health issue. So the scientists and the politicians down south are not saying that. So someone is wrong and someone is right. I don't know because I don't have access to the to the to the data sets, Donald. But let's be really clear. It is not for First Minister, Prime Minister, a government to tell business and their employees what the relationship should be. This is solely, when it's not a public health issue, this is solely between an employer and an employee. The government should get their neb out of it. It's nothing to do with them. And as Willie said, this will be sorted when businesses say, right, well, what's good for our employees? What's good for our customers? How are we going to do this? And the more um, enlightened employers will get it right and they'll serve their customers better and they'll keep their workforce happier. But government, nothing to do with it. Really? Yeah, what I don't understand is you make the announcement and things don't, the new rule doesn't kick in for 14 days or whatever. I mean, when you make these announcements, you have obviously taken the advice from the medical team and it's okay now. So, you know, the, the, the defence of that may be, oh, we have to give people time to, you know, to, to readjust. We could, we could allow everyone back in our building tomorrow, right? We haven't changed anything that would stop that. So I, I just think there's, you know, give people a couple of days, you know, make the announcements on a Friday and say it's going to happen on the Monday and that will give everyone time to adjust. So if we continue with hybrid working, and there are suggestions that the public sector will be allowed to do so, can our city and town centres survive, Tom? Um, No, they can't survive the way they were because there's been a paradigm shift in who is in city centres, etc. So they would need to reimagine what a city centre is going to be with the new way people are using the city centre. So it's as simple as that. Um, I don't know what the answer is going to be. I know from from our own office, we're definitely going to to some hybrid, but Dundonald isn't exactly the centre or a city centre of anyone. Um, But in terms of Glasgow, I I had a look around Glasgow for the first time in a a long time, and I was was shocked, to be honest with you. And... um, Therefore, we need to know what the new norm is and then the people, the local authorities, the property developers, etc., need to, the entrepreneurs, we all need to come up with a new norm that serves those who are coming to city centres. Really? Yeah, there's no doubt that um, when all the dust settles here that small retailers, large retailers in the city centre will be affected. And until we find, you know, what the new norm is, as Tom says, then we won't know where that's going to go. But in the short term, 
unfortunately, yes, a lot of small businesses in the town centre will suffer. National insurance is set to rise by 1.25 percentage points in April and raise $12 billion a year for the NHS. There's mounting pressure to scrap it given the growing squeeze on household income. What should your pal Sunak do, Tom? My pal Sunak, who I've never met. Ah, right, right, Donald. Thanks very much. Well, you you rate him very highly as a man with the answer. So what should he do? <laughs> well, here is the conundrum. So we have a National Health Service that just needs a lot of money and it keeps consuming so much more money. I mean, once once the poor NHS gets over the pandemic, the next challenge is the waiting list. And I've, I've been in London last week and speaking to some um, health professionals and they are just, their heads in their hands about waiting lists. And we talked about it way in the beginning of this, the unintended consequences of the of shutting things down. People have not been coming in, getting their cancer diagnosed or treated, and there's going to be a tsunami hits the NHS. So how do we pay for it all? How do we pay for the for the care of our aging population? These are the big questions, and therefore it, it it falls on the government, both Westminster and Holyrood, to, to say, now, let's get back to where the money comes from. The money comes from taxpayers. Government doesn't have any money. Government takes tax from us, the taxpayer, and allocates it. So businesses have got to pay. Individuals have got to pay. Who should pay? Well, those who can afford it, frankly. Um and therefore, those with the broadest shoulders should carry the biggest burden. Now, that is easy to say, very hard to do in practice. But if it was me, I would be putting a hypothecated tax, which is a fancy word simply for saying, let's put 1% on income tax above a certain amount. And that goes directly to the NHS and the care system. Um, politicians don't like it because it holds them account. So here's six billion raised. What happened to it? Um, and we talked about it last week. The NHS in its current form will not deal with these backlogs. It's incapable of dealing with it. And the sooner we take this hard medicine and get down to actually trying to solve it, rather than trying to do it within the current NHS, the better. So should we take the hard medicine of the national insurance rise, Willie, to help the NHS? I think we have to. I think that the NHS is in financial crisis, and especially social care. And that is only going to get worse and worse because people are living longer and, and obviously you know, they need more care. But um, I agree with Tom... The problem for me for the NHS is we just seem to throw more and more money at it, and I, I actually think it's 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 too big to fix. So I, I think really I don't mind raising more money for the NHS, but I think we should look at breaking the NHS up a bit. Well, money may be tight for the UK Treasury, but it did write off four point three billion to COVID fraud and ruling out any prospect of recovering the money. So is that? Tom, an unfortunate consequence of the rush to deal with the pandemic 
or a badly administered system of financial support. Yeah, a bit of both, Donald. Um, I remember Willie and I speaking about this at the beginning and we couldn't believe how easy it was for people to get these loans. So on the one hand, it was quick, it was easy, and it was at the point of need. So tick the box. On the other hand, it was easy for the fraudsters to get in. And Willie and I discussed it at the time, and and we said the one way to solve this is if you wanted to borrow that money and you were genuine, it was done in a personal guarantee. Simple as that. And therefore, the fraudsters would not have been able to run away with 4.3. By the way, the 4.3 is just the tip of the iceberg. This is going to be a scandal ongoing, and that figure is going to rise. Really? Yeah, I totally agree with Tom. Uh, and I have to applaud Lord Agnew um, at the dispatch box this week, standing and resigning you know, publicly. And as Tom says, this 4.3 billion will be the VAT on actually the money that's been defrauded. And we said way back in the programme, months and months ago, if you showed accounts where you'd been in an operating business making profit, you could get a loan, right? And that's certainly the scrutiny here. And what this tells you, the announcement this week in the House of Lords actually tells you the shambles behind some of these uh, initiatives that were set up where we're giving money away willy-nilly. Well, that brings me nicely into Ladbrokes because they'd been considering returning over a hundred million of furlough cash, and betting firms have done particularly well during the pandemic with the growth of online betting. Should we have put a profit caveat in place when agreeing to provide furlough, Tom? Yeah, once again, I think the furlough scheme was um, bold. It was imaginative, and it was easy for firms to get money at the point of need. And I think it saved an awful lot of jobs. So once again, tick the box. But, and here's the big but, if companies came through it and they get back into profit, give the money back, be a decent company, be a decent citizen, because you you didn't need that money and for goodness sake, don't pay it out to shareholders because that is the taxpayer giving the shareholders of Ladbrokes money. No way, Jose. Crikey, a con for businesses to be good, Willie. I think this was dead dead simple. Every penny paid in furlough should have been a loan. Right, no personal guarantees, but a loan. And it doesn't matter if it took you 10 years or 20 years to pay it back, that once you were on your feet again and making profit, that you could have a repayment scheme. I, I will certainly be repaying any money that we got in the furlough. We'll work out how long that takes, whatever. But certainly if every company done that, then what you'd have done then is you'd have sorted out a lot of the people who were trying to defraud the monies. If only the government had been listening to you, Tom and Willie. If you want free business advice or have a question for Tom and Willie, you can email us at gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. But before we chat to Artie, in the latest of our brilliant series in Great Scots, we tell the story of Mackey's ice cream. The Mackey family business began with farming in Aberdeenshire. Sir Maitland Mackey was one of the first owners of a tractor in the area and became a pioneer of the milk retail business. Mackey's milk retail business grew substantially through doorstep delivery to the local area. 
By 1994, Mackey's had built a thriving milk business with a turnover of over £12 million and a workforce of over 250 people. Over time, the family realised the taste for milk varied more than expected, from the very creamiest of milk to skimmed milk, and this would prove to be the drive behind the introduction of their now famous ice cream. The growing popularity of semi-skim milk had left the business with a huge surplus of cream, and so in 1986, 74 years since their inception, Mackey's took their first steps into the world of ice cream. By 1993, ice cream turnover had hit £2.5 million, leading to major upgrades in their premises and equipment. Before long, the business was producing over 6 million tubs of ice cream a year. Further diversification followed with multiple flavours added, and in 2014, we saw the introduction of Mackey's chocolate bars. And the following year, Mackey's very own chocolate factory was commissioned. In 2020, as the Covid pandemic hit Britain, Mackey's continued to work through lockdown. They believed that in dark times, ice cream would prove a treat and be a much-needed mood lifter for those stuck at home. The same year, Mackey's became a double award winner. The business was awarded Export Business of the Year after export sales increased by 78%, with 2 million tubs of Mackey's ice cream shipped off from Aberdeen to Asia. The brand also won an award for food and drink business growth, highlighting their continuous quest to add value and diversify. Since they began making ice cream in 1986, Mackey's has successfully launched over 200 products, made over 1,000 flavours, and in their own words, made countless mistakes, but had many good parties. Through graft and innovation, both in good times and bad, Mackey's remains well and truly one of Scotland's favourite brands. I love that line, that in dark times, ice cream proved a treat. It certainly did for me. What about you, Willie? Well, it's amazing in the, in the last few weeks, you know, that it just proves that Scots have a sweet tooth to have our great Scots make ice cream, you know, after Equis. But no, as you start to go north, um, you know, Mackey's is dominant, you know, everywhere you go. I remember stopping in all the garages, you know, as an apprentice and everywhere you went was Mackey's ice cream. So, yeah, I must say I have uh, dined out many an evening on their product. <laughs> Are you familiar with it, Tom? I'm afraid so, yes. I've got a very sweet tooth. and um, But I just love the fact, you know, and we've talked about it on the show many times, that good entrepreneurs find a way. And during COVID, it would have been very easy to say, right, close down investment, batten down the hatches. But there we go. An entrepreneurial family business said, no, we'll invest through the dark times. And hopefully there's light at the end of the tunnel. And at the end of the tunnels are 99. <laughs> and, and it's also a great example of being a true entrepreneur. This is was because of the advent of semi-skim milk that they had all this cream left. So there yeah, there was an entrepreneur already thrown in the bin, saying, no, 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 wait a minute, we're going to make something else out of this. So fantastic, fantastic idea. And it's obviously a great success story now. Yeah, uh, well done. Well, cream always rises to the top. <laughs> We're now joined by Artie Mohammed, co-founder of Guy and Beard Limited. Artie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. How are you? We're very well. Absolutely delighted to have you here. You've certainly got an interesting concept and operate out of unusual premises. So tell us about your business and where the idea came from for the premises and how you started out. So... Back in 2017, my partner, who's my husband now, we um, he owned a barber shop and we were looking to expand and open more shops in the Glasgow area because he was based out of Bathgate. 
And then we looked at a lot of different properties in the West End, etc. And we looked that the rents are high, the rates are high, and it would mean we would have to charge our customers higher, which was not what we wanted. So one night we were actually watching How to Live Mortgage Free with Sarah Beanie. And I'd seen it on Grand Designs previously. And I thought, you know what? I have a shipping container parked in my care home park, car park that I've had for 10 years that we're using just to keep extra building storage. And it's the container we used to start up one of our first businesses as well. So the next day, we literally got a grinder out and started cutting it and doing all sorts with it and watching YouTube videos on how to convert containers. So it's one of those kind of crazy ideas. We thought, you know what? And we pitched it to so many different people and then we, we kind of we got the opportunity with Brayhead and that's where we landed our first container in September so um, an idea kind of came about about May June time so that's how we started. So containers so Willie have you got a view on that? Yes <laughs> Artie's the reason there's a world shortage in containers <laughs> she's turned them into barber shops. <laughs> so where, where are your barber shops now? So we've got in, in Brayhead Silverburn Glasgow Fort um, and Fort Kennard in Edinburgh. And recently, because of obviously a pandemic, we were looking at where should we place these containers. And at one stage, we were going to be doing them at train stations like Queen Street. But then we kind of changed our path um, when we realised that footfall is a little bit different in areas, um, essential shopping, like places like your Asas and Tesco. So that's when we approached Asda. And in the last 12 months, we've opened in three Asda. So we've got three additional sites in Asda, Linwood, Asda, Tory Glen and Asda Leith um, and we're hopefully going to open another two Asdas this year. I mean that's brilliant I mean you you opened four stores in the last 18 months in the midst of a pandemic how much of an impact did Covid have on your business or did you see it as an opportunity? I think for us um, we've always like my background is care that's why I come and I also operate a care home as well and I'm quite passionate about creating employment and having like a kind of safe place for people to come and work etc so we knew that hit a lot of people hard and we thought well how can we carry on I mean for ourselves we didn't need to expand the business we could have I mean we had our first baby in February 2020 so it was quite a crazy time for us but we were we're quite um, passionate about making barbering a a sector where people get paid well, they get their pensions, they get holidays, because it's kind of known as a sector where, you know, it's self-employed and you're not getting the benefits, etc. But we, we we were just kind of, we thought we want to see this as an opportunity, as a challenge, not as something to sit back and be like, it's doomsday, what are we going to do? So we thought, let's challenge ourselves and see if we can get these containers out that we've built. It'd certainly be a challenge trying to cut Tom's hair because he doesn't have any, a bit like me. <laughs> hey, Tom. Thank you very much, Donald. Um, I will pay you back for that. <laughs> Artie, this is a fantastic story and it's, it kind of touches on what we were talking about before where when the facts change and the market change, good entrepreneurs just adapt and come up with it. So absolutely brilliant and more power to your elbow. Is there anything in your background or your now husband's background that kind of made you stand out in the entrepreneurial culture? What kind of background did you come from? So for, with my background recently as well, I completed a course on conscious leadership with Babson College and Entrepreneurial Scotland. So I'm, oh, we're, wow. Yeah, so we're very much about making a difference and engaging all stakeholders and making sure everyone benefits from what we're doing is to kind of have a higher purpose in our business. Um, it's not just about 
um, us making more money. It's about creating jobs. It's about our customers making it convenient for them, making it as affordable as possible and making them feel good when they come in the store. I mean, this teenager used to come in and I I, I work the shop floors. I can't cut hair. I just brush and do the towels and things like that as well because I like to have my finger on the pulse and get to know the sector because obviously I was new to it when we started up. Very shy boy and then a few weeks into it, like he came in and he had a girlfriend in his hand and he was like really kind of um, confident and it's, I'm not saying it was guy and beard and the haircut, but it's just, it just shows if you like take that little bit of time with people, what a difference you can make. Yes. So, so tell me about... um Babson College in Entrepreneurial Scotland because I, I I actually studied at Babson College as well. I think it's the best place in the world. Yeah. And um, so how did you get involved with that, Artie? It was through Entrepreneurial Scotland. They approached me to see if I was interested in the course and I'd seen it online. And fortunately, actually, COVID is the reason I was able to do it because if I had to travel out, I wouldn't have been able to go to Babson. So it was all done online via Zoom. Yep. So it was Raj Sisodia that did the course and every week there would be a different billionaire business person that would come and talk to us and give us advice. And it was quite a small group of people, it was a collective of 20 of us. Um, and we got to ask some really interesting questions and just learn more about how to be conscious leaders. And really that, if you look in history, the more kind of successful businesses they've had, conscious leaders, people that kind of look at the bigger picture rather than focus just on like that one thing the price point and from that a few of us uh collectively formed conscious leaders scotland which i'm a board member of we've not managed to do, we've done a few webinars online during covid and had some guest speakers on which has been great but it's just really to kind of join in on the conversation brilliant wow i mean that is that's brilliant so uh, maybe you could share with our listeners how how they can get involved, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. We've got, uh, on LinkedIn, we've got a page, Conscious Leaders Scotland. If you follow that on there, you can join in. We And there's lots of various resources and um, obviously free webinars, etc. It's really just a place for like-minded people to get come and join in the conversation because sometimes our journey can be quite lonely and I think people forget that, that there's a lot of people in the same boat and sometimes just sharing ideas just makes that, that bit of a difference, really. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, certainly yeah. something that Willie is going on about, sharing ideas. Yeah, I, I think um, it's, it's great. Unfortunately, we've got too many unconscious leaders in oh. Scotland. <laughs> so we need, we need to wake oh, some of them up by listening. Me. By the way, I'm not kidding. <laughs> I, I didn't oh, say they were in business. <laughs> I would just like to ask, was your, two questions, was your husband a hairdresser before you done it, or a barber? And uh, where did the name come from, Guy and Bert? So my husband, Usman, he um, he ran a successful salon for about 10 years. He started it when he was 18 and he's a third generation barber. So he actually started cutting hair at like the age of 12. I don't think I actually quite appreciated how skilled he was until I started Guy and Beard with him because he's actually phenomenal at his trade. And you see that when you compare it to other people, you just think, you don't really think of it that much. I mean, the name Guy and Beard, we wanted to come up with something kind of tongue-in-cheek and simple as well, like that just kind of says what it does right. on the tin. And beards are quite fashionable and they're in as well. And it's he always makes a joke, he's a guy and I'm the beard. Right. So can, can I, <laughs> how unkind can I ask? So all the new modern trendy, but they're all kind of hipstery, is that what the containers look like? 
Yeah, it's all upcycled inside. It's all reclaimed materials. Like we've used old scaffolding boards that we've sanded down and oiled for like our workstations and found mirrors and different uh, like kind of places. We Everything is we found things and tried to upcycle them. The first um, few containers we physically build 100% ourselves. Obviously, now we've had a few more contractors in to help because we've got the day-to-day operations too. Can I ask you this? Are, are you amazed at... Even though you only have a container yep. and you have it in the car park, are you amazed at the difference of the rates that the council expect from you from area to area? The reason it's a loaded question because I absolutely know you. <laughs> yeah. Do you know it's funny because I was actually doing my rate summary before I came here, and I was like, "Is <laughs> is one that I've appealed? Um, I won't say especially for bears. Then <laughs> <laughs> it's actually Glasgow Fort area. It's ridiculous. Like, really? it's, yes, our our rates are higher than our our rent. It's crazy. Wow. But obviously, we've had the rates relief because of. COVID, etc. But we don't. I don't believe it's been announced on first of April if that's going to continue. Because for us as a small business, that's going to be it's going to be a big chunk for us to start paying business rates overnight again. Um, so I'm not really sure what the government's plans are. I know about the the shops because they're in Asda's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, talking of challenges, of course, it's a it's a family business. What do you see as the the main challenges there? And, what are the main advantages? So with it being a family business, it's a great thing because you're both invested in it equally and you can talk about it at different times. But I think the challenges with it is having that discipline because with Guy and Beard, it's myself and this man, my husband, that are co-founders and directors. We're the board. So we don't report to anyone else but ourselves so you need to have that kind of discipline and previously we've had mentors who would come in and do like a monthly board meeting with us etc however we're not in the position where we do have that what I try to do is I I say if I was employing somebody to do my job what would I expect of them what would their job description be what reporting would they give me etc I try to look at it like that so that's how we kind of overcome that challenge but it's not easy and we have a thing like a Sunday night, we've got a whiteboard in our home office and we make sure that we've got our goals set out for the week and we make sure that they align and like kind of work towards achieving our monthly, our quarterly and our annual goals kind of idea. Because a lot of the times people will do their goal setting at the beginning of the year, but they don't really look at it again till December, which I think is counterproductive. It's the way like I view management accounts. A lot of businesses, they have loans with banks and they have to produce qu- quarterly MI or monthly MI to submit in as a covenant. However, they're needed to manage your business. These are things that are important um, for you to actually have the pulse on everything and know, finger on the pulse and know what you're doing, really. So can I ask, with the container shortage, yep. how's the expansion going? <laughs> <laughs> so we first saw the container shortage. No, we didn't really. And we're kicking ourselves because... We had an opportunity to buy 30 containers, but we didn't have the space to store them and they were <laughs> like rock bottom price. Wow. But we di- we just thought, you know, we don't have the space. We know we can pick up containers, but we're in the fortunate position that we kind of continue building ourselves in the background. So for last year's expansion, we had like six containers ready. So we still have two that are due to go out. So we kind of keep our eye on things and we're, we're only really looking for a used container we're not bulk buying like a big number of them so if we find something that's at a good price point in decent condition we're always driving around different building sites and 
keeping our eye on eBay and Facebook market. And if we see anything, we just go and get it, really. So oh, Barber's is all about the amount of chairs. How many do you have in a container? So we have um, three chairs in a container. During COVID, we reduced that to two um, to just to promote more kind of like the social distancing. Although we could have just, we kept the three, but it was important to us to make sure that we're maintaining like high standards and ensuring that we wouldn't be the reason of COVID um, spreading within the community. And you've taken the decision, I think they're all open late, seven days a week? That's correct, yes. Uh It's really for the convenience of our customers because after school, like parents can bring their children over after work. I mean... There's so many things these days that you have to fit in on a Saturday and Sunday. I mean, how many things are you supposed to fit in? And it's really just to make it convenient. We asked our customers what would they like and they wanted those kind of opening hours. So that's what we've delivered. Do you manage them all or are you looking to franchise? So that is the big question. Um, We currently manage them all ourselves and we would be looking to potentially franchise in the future. However, right now, although... This September, it'll be five years in that we've had the business, but we've got that kind of control and flexibility currently. And we're still uh, making mistakes. You learn the most from your mistakes. Like we, I'll be honest with you, I got a bit arrogant. We opened Glasgow Fort, um, third shop, and the sales were phenomenal first week. And we thought, oh, we're on to a winner. We got an offer for um, a centre in Edinburgh, Fountain Park. It's quite a good location, you would think. However, we opened that and that made losses for quite a while for us. So, um, But the benefit of our business model is that we were able to just lift the container and put it somewhere else. Yeah. So right now, sorry to answer your question as well, there's loads, we get inquiries every other day. We've probably got close to 150 names on a database that have asked that are serious people that would want to franchise wow. our business. Wow. Wow. Well, that's that's incredible, Artie. But I just I just love the way that you're speaking about your business and listening to the customer, asking the customer. I mean, it's a really enterprising story. This so more power to your elbow. I love it, and I'm just sorry that I can't experience the service. <laughs> Polish is only a fiver, Tam. <laughs> yeah, I started losing my hair at the age of 12, so I probably think before when your husband was cutting hair. <laughs> now, now I know why everybody in Edinburgh's got long hair. <laughs> but before you go, Artie, I've got a, obviously it's a partnership. The key question here is who actually calls the shots? Oh. I, I would say. Um, He's not here. Is, no, <laughs> he's going to be listening, though. No, it's definitely 50-50. We've got our clear areas. When it comes to the actual day-to-day operations of the shop, how they're run, the customer experience, the level of service, that is always, man, I can't take any credit for that. That's his baby. That's what he does. I'm the kind of background person that does the figures and the boring stuff, really. Well, the stuff that I find exciting, but the average person finds boring. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Thank you, Artie. It's yes, been a thank pleasure. You. Brilliant. Thank, thank you for, you having for coming me. on. Thanks. Good luck. Got a great wee email question about technology for you. And probably, Willie, I'll come to you first. Walmart were looking to partner with a drone startup backed by Bill Gates to deliver your shopping. Do you think it's literally pie in the sky or a triumph for technology? And more seriously, how important is technology for a business? Well, start at the end. Technology is very important for a business. Um, 
where where it can go, I think there's a, a limit. I think AI will play a big, big part in loads of things going forward, um, especially in predicting. But you will find that there'll be limitations. You know, there's a limitation for drones. You know, that uh, I don't see a drone try to deliver one of those large tires out of Walmart and drop them off in somebody's <laughs> backyard. But no, there's, there is no doubt that it's at the heart of business. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, AI will be at the heart of all things fintech, you know, for predictions. Um, so for me, we, we've embraced that. Obviously, I've now got more people in my IT department than I've got in my HR department. And let me tell you, that's seen something. <laughs> uh, so I would never have guessed that 20 years ago, when I had one person in my IT, that one day I would have 160 or 150. So that's where technology is going. So I think that, going back to the drone thing, it's interesting, I don't know if you've seen it, Don, but for the first time, I don't know if you've seen it, that this week um, a football match was held up for 11 minutes because yes. someone had sent a drone up. So that's the the impact it's having across everything. So, yeah, I would think that it'll be interesting to see, obviously, if Bill Gates is investing in it, he believes in it, but... Um, Techies have got this way of, of of badgering you into things and I think people have to just make their mind up whether it's good, the technology is good or bad. Tom, do you think we should embrace or be scared of AI? Well, the bottom line is we've got to embrace it. Threat or opportunity. So you can't stick your head in the sand here. AI is a huge opportunity and it's coming whether we like it or not. Um, well, just on the... Obviously, I don't understand football, but I didn't understand why a drone stopped play. What what were they worried about? If it fell. Or if it fell on the yes, players. it was above the players. Right, OK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it might have woke some of them up. Well, yeah. it was a pretty brief game, but anyway. I must tell you I, this. The other day, right, my wee dog was chewing something in the garden and I went to get it because <laughs> I thought it was a wee bird and it's some kid. <laughs> it was a small drone. <laughs> that had fallen out the sky and it did hey, look... mister, can I get my drone back <laughs> well yeah, you can have the five bits see it back after my dog was finished with it. <laughs> so I love the whole um, disruptive technology of, of drones and um, something which which we knew about was um, drone delivering medical supplies to really hard to reach parts down in Rwanda and mm. um, it was really it was just, I love the thinking about it. I love the disruption and I love that this was going to be an answer to a really difficult question. How do we get medical supplies right up into the backwater in Rwanda? And the drone was the answer. So, yes, I'm all for it. Um, I think it's going to be really good and um, I'm all in. I would have to say in, in one specific sector, I think AI will be amazing in medicine. Yeah. The things that they can do now, you know, the thing that if, if you take a, a a pinprick from a baby, a newborn baby, and take a test of blood, you can tell what happened to this kid in 30, 40, and 50, and 60 years. You can tell illnesses that, that it's liable to have. Wow. Yeah, we should really get um, Professor Sir Chris Evans back on because he was telling me the other day that because of the computational power, the power of AI, yeah. that's what's allowed vaccines to come so quickly. And he's now putting it into the cancer field. Things you couldn't do even just five years ago, they can now crunch so much data and AI is looking for answers in all of these amazing places. And he's really confident that new cures 
in biotech and medicine are going to happen. So truly transformational. I was amazed, Tom, when my two granddaughters, the twins, were born in Geneva four years ago and I was in the hospital with my son and here was a motorbike rider there to pick up all the remainders of the umbilical cord of the kids were taken away wow. and kept in a lab and for, 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 for helping the kid in the future. Amazing. And that happens with every kid. Every kid. Aye. So Chris Evans is, is involved in that as well. But yeah. um, it's it just, it blows your mind, this stuff, you know, yeah. it really does. Well, still on the technology theme, <laughs> supermarket trolleys are to get a new handle design and apparently to encourage more spend. Oh, this is serious. Apparently it's about less push, more pull, apparently. So how important is design and research and refining your proposition, Willie? And have you any examples? Yeah, the, the, obviously we're involved with the technology within, you know, the, the trolleys and supermarkets. Are you know, you? Yes, yes. Uh, the latest ones are now that they can put a security tag on all the pieces. And if anyone taking this, the, the trolley out of the supermarket has got anything in the trolley that has not went through the till, the wheels in the trolley stop. Really? Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. One of the biggest problems that we have in Australia, you'll not believe it, this is actually on the national news, Tom, every night. Every night uh -huh. you get a report of the amount of trolleys that are taken out of the canal, right? No. Yes, seriously, on the national news, when, when, <laughs> when honestly, when Ian McLeod was the chief executive calls, he used to phone me every night and he's like, Wally, get us off the telly, right? <laughs> Can we find a way? And what they, what they did, this is true, this is true, Donald. They fitted a mechanism, right, onto the trolley that there was a metal bar, say, 10 metres from the, the supermarket. So what people there used to do, just get all the stuff and walk home with the trolley with all the stuff. They had no cars. And what happened is when you got 10 metres from the store, the wheels locked, <laughs> right? When you went past this barrier, the wheels locked so they couldn't take the trolleys away. So that was how we stopped trolleys getting in the canal. So, yeah, so, so I know all about technology and trolleys. <laughs> if, if anybody's listening in, Tom, how much of your profit should you invest in research and development? Well, thankfully you weren't going to ask me about supermarket trolleys because I must admit, <laughs> I've not been in a supermarket for 20 years or something. <laughs> um, research and development depends what industry you're in. Um, so there's no flat percentage answer to that, but you're investing in your future. So as much as you can afford has got to go into the R&D and the answer to the question about technology from a, the, the previous question was, I, I firmly believe every single business now is a technology business. Technology has taken over and the pace of change on, in business is driven by the computational power of that little thing called the um, computer chip. And therefore, the pace of change in all of our lives, just keeps getting quicker and quicker. And that's why we are so passionate that entrepreneurs are the ones who will see these changes quickest, will be agile, will put their thoughts to work and create the jobs of the future. It's absolutely fundamental to Scotland's success. Fundamental yeah. to success, Willie? Yeah, and I think you think about it, you know, years ago, that big, big companies, Procter & Gamble, all these big companies were marketing with huge, absolutely huge, spending billions in advertising. And now the power of anyone's iPhone in their pocket is just as valuable. Well, one P 
piece of, uh, sort of development, if you like, that maybe scares me a wee bit is wooden skyscrapers. There are plans to build a 20-storey eco-friendly wooden skyscraper in London. If this is the future, would you take an office in one, Willie? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. I, I don't know how anyone uses wood in the outside for any construction anywhere in Britain. I, I certainly wouldn't recommend it here. If you look at any new building going up here that is wooden fencing or a wooden balcony or whatever, go back and see it in five years, see what it looks like. No matter how you treat it, it looks old and dated. Now, unless you're trying to get that effect, you know, you're building a barn or you want whatever, but for me, I, I think that the the robustness of it and the look of it certainly would not have me either building an office for wood or even investing in one. Tom, any of you? Oh, well, yeah, I mean, goodness, just the, the fire risk. Have we learned nothing from Grenfell? I mean, I, I, I just don't get it. Yeah, well, it scared me. But unfortunately, that's all we've got time for this week. Don't forget, if you want to join the boardroom, you can put your questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey.